Blessed are you, Adonai, God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments, has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Chapter 22 of the book of Genesis. As we're doing our year-long study, basically chapter by chapter through Genesis. And it happened after these things that God taste, tested Abraham and said to him, Avram, Avraham, and he's replied, here am I. And he said, please take your son, your only one whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. Bring him up there as an offering upon one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Avraham woke up early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, he took his two young men with him, and Isaac his son. He split the wood for the offering and stood up and went to the place which God had spoken to him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and perceived the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here by yourself with the donkey, while I and the lad go yonder. And we will worship, and we will return to you. And Abraham took the wood for the offering and placed it on Isaac, his son. He took his hand and the, and, the, and the fire and the knife, and the two of them went together. When Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, Father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Here are the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham said, God will seek out for himself the land for the offering, my son. And the two of them went together. They arrived at the place of which God had spoken to him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound Isaac, his son. He placed him on the altar atop the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And an angel of Adonai called him from, from Shemayim and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad, nor do anything to him. For now I know that you are a God-fearing man, since you have not withheld your son, your only one from me. And Abraham raised his eyes and saw, behold, a ram afterwards caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as an offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that site Adonai Yireh, as it is said to this day on the mountain Adonai will be seen. The angel of Adonai called Abraham a second time from Shemayim and said, By myself I swear the word of Adonai, that because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only one, that I shall surely bless you and greatly increase your offspring like the stars of the heaven and like the sand of the seashore, and your offspring shall inherit the gate of its enemy, and all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by your offspring because you've listened to my voice. And Abraham returned to his young men, and they stood up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham stayed at Beersheba. And it came to pass after these things that Abraham was told, saying, Behold, Milcah too has borne children to Nahor your brother, Uz his, his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, and Hesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlap, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, and his concubine, whose name was Rehumah, also bore him children, Teba, 
Gaham, Tahash, and Ma'akah. That's the end of chapter 22. Our contention is, as Lapid Jews, that Mashiach Yeshua came and he died for our sins and made atonement for us. He came as Mashiach ben Yosef. He came initially as the suffering Messiah. This is the Jewish idea about Mashiach. The Jewish idea about Mashiach is that he comes twice. He's referred to very often as the two Messiahs, although it's really the one Messiah. Because the Jewish idea, as you study the ancient sources, sources like the Talmud, like the Midrash, like the Zohar, it teaches us that Mashiach is going to come as Mashiach ben Yosef. He's going to suffer and die for our sins. And then he's going to be resurrected and return and rule to rule and reign as Mashiach ben David. And in fact, Judaism says today, the ancient sources, I should say, say that the Mashiach is sitting where? He's sitting today at the gates of Rome. Not in Rome, but at the gates of Rome, binding himself with bandages. Why? Because he's called upon himself all the sickness and all the disease and all the suffering of Israel he's taken upon himself. That's what's going on with Mashiach. Chapter 22 of the book of Breshit, the book of Torah here, sometimes referred to as the book of the upright, is the precedent for everything. The binding of Isaac, referred to as the Akedah. Rabbeinu Bakya writes concerning this uh, chapter, and he says, it, as it's written in 22 verse 1, and God had tested Abraham, it says, this is the portion dealing with the binding of, of Isaac, an event which is the cornerstone of the Jewish faith throughout the ages. Jews have placed their trust in their eternal future in the merit accumulated by both Abraham and Isaac as protecting them against extermination by their enemies. I'm not sure if you caught that or not, but what this is saying is that this event in the life of, of, of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, Abraham was the first Jew, this event is the source of all the protecting merit and atonement. There is a straw man argument, there is a false theology, a false belief that is very prevalent amongst believers in the Messiah. And that is that prior to the Mashiach, that Jews trusted in their works, that means um, following God's commandments as their, as their salvation. And that after Mashiach came, he brought the great, great revelation that you should not trust in your works to save you, but rather you should trust in God's grace as the Mashiach has paid the price for you. That, that allegedly was the great revelation. And not only were you not supposed to trust in your works, but in fact you should stop doing them altogether. Now let's, let's define works, shall we, for a second. What are the works that the theology is referring to? The works are God's scripture. Which I want you to think about just for a moment logically. 
Because a lot of times our theology is completely illogical. But we don't know it because it's been browbeat into us since we were babies. They've been cramming the triangle peg in the round hole for centuries with a hammer. Is it so far-fetched to believe? Now, we don't, Judaism does not believe that our Torah-keeping saves us. Let's just take that and put that over here for a second. But is it so far-fetched to believe that if you follow God's word, it might have some saving power? No, 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 think about it. Because people say, no, you've got to stop doing works. What works are you talking about? Stop following the commandments. What are the commandments? The word of God. There's power, power. But we sing that song, but what are we singing about? We're singing it about the scripture because the scripture says it. Now, wait a minute. If we follow God's word, there's no saving power there? Then why do we have God's word around our houses and stuff? Why do we have it on our doorposts? I'm wondering. There's no saving power in God's word. We got to stop doing it. Then why do we even read it? But having said that, Judaism has never believed that our works save us because we all know that the very best Zodic is nothing compared to the righteousness of God. Now, the proof in the proverbial pudding for this is if you've ever attended a real, a real Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur service where you actually... Read the blessings and the prayers out of the sitter, and you find that we're asking God to remember the binding of Isaac. I'm talking about a traditional service here. We're asking God to remember the binding of Isaac in place of all of our deeds. The reason we blow the shofar in Rosh Hashanah, for instance, the reason we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, for instance, is so that God will remember the ram that was offered in place of Isaac for the, for the atonement of our sins. At no time in any Jewish service ever do we come to God and say, God, I've done all of this. Pay up. In fact, God, we come to God and we say, God, I've done all of this, and it is worthless before you. Remember the ram that was offered. That's the reality. So there's a straw man argument, this grace versus law nonsense. It doesn't exist. Interestingly, it says here in Mayam Loez, this chapter, I want you to think about this, this chapter is recited every day in traditional Judaism. It is, it says here in Ma'am Loez, the source of Israel's merit and hope. We should therefore examine each word as if we were assaying, assessing rather a diamond. Only then will we understand its full significance. I want you to know that the most read portion of Scripture in Judaism is this chapter, it is read literally 365 days a year. Why? Because as it says, all of the merit 
in which we hope and trust comes down to the binding of the Son by the Father. Now, going back to a few drashas back, I emphasized and pointed out that Isaac was the literal spitting image of Abraham. God did this because people were, were spreading Lashon Hara and saying that, in fact, it wasn't really his son, but, in fact, Avimelech had had relationship with Sarah, and it was really Avimelech's son. To dispel the naysayers, God made it so that Isaac was an exact replica image of Abraham. So Isaac was an image of the father. The father, Abraham, the, the sages bring down, was actually a spitting image of Adam. And Adam, the sages bring down, was a spitting image of God. To the extent that when the angels saw Adam, they bowed to worship before him. And Hashem said, that's not me. So let's put that together, shall we? What we have here is that the chapter that is read every single day of the year that is the source of our merit is all about the image of the Father offered on the altar for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the theory. That's the idea. That's the concept. Isaac was not a boy. Many of you know that already, but there's thousands watching right now who've never heard that before. Abraham did not drag his 10-year-old son up the mountain screaming and crying. He was about 37. He was way younger than his father by about 100 years. And could have easily overpowered his father. If you're 37, can't beat up a 137-year-old, boy. You need some help. Eat some Wheaties or something. Something's wrong. And when he asked, Father, here's the wood and here's the knife, here's the fire. Where's the lamb, you know? And the sages bring down that the reason he brought the wood is because there's a halakhic principle, there's a halakhic rule, if you will, that you're not allowed to use wood on the sacred altar that has infested with worms and his rod and so on. So he brought the wood to make sure that it was, the, even the wood has to be perfect. And so Isaac was asking, you brought the wood because you want that to be perfect, but how do you know we're going to find a lamb up there? Because who's, if, even, even if there is a lamb on the mountain running around somewhere, who's this, how, how is anybody to know or how would we know if it was perfect and without a blemish? And he says, God will provide the lamb, my son. See, we put a comma in the English, but there's no comma in the Hebrew. He said, God will provide a lamb, my son. I brought you, Isaac, because you're perfect. I brought you, Isaac, because I know you don't have a blemish. I brought you, Isaac, because you are worthy to go up on the altar. And when Isaac heard that at 37, he didn't even flinch. He just took the wood and put it on his shoulders and walked up the mountain with his father. It said, it is remarkable that the Torah, this is another Rebbeinu Bakya quote, it is remarkable that the Torah describes a man of 37 years as a lad, Na'ar. When you pursue scripture, you'll find that this is not quite so remarkable because Joshua was 56 and the scripture refers to him as a lad. 
Some of the men said, praise God. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and go home and say, honey, you're married to a lad, lassie. <laughs> Look at thee. Uh. Now listen, some notes from Ma'am Louise here. I have a lot to share. I'm going to try to blow through it as fast as we can, but with, with paying it proper respect. It says, if Abraham had sacrificed Isaac on the same day, this is a question. Why did it take Abraham three days to go from where he was to Mount Moriah? The sages point out that was a fairly short trip. It shouldn't have taken three days. But why did it take three days? And the answer is that, that Abraham deliberately waited three days so that no one could say it was a knee-jerk reaction, a flash in the pan. I just did it quick. Why was the Mashiach in the tomb for three days? So that nobody could say, well, it was just a quick decision. He, he, he changed his mind. No, God allowed the Mashiach to sit there for three days. It says, if Abraham had sacrificed Isaac on the same day that God commanded it, it would have been possible to say that he did it out of sheer terror at God's word, that he was confused, that he didn't know what he was doing. Because he delayed for three days, it was obvious that he did it out of purest love of God. He did it with a clear and enthusiastic mind without any complaint. By the way, this is the first time in Scripture where the word love is used. When it refers to offering up your son that you love. So it makes total sense now when Yeshua said, God so loved the world. Of course it makes total sense. When he said that, nobody said, oh, that's, I never heard such a thing before. Because people are so far removed from the Jewish con con context of the Gospels, we hear things like that and say, boy, well, that's a powerful verse. And Jews says, I know, we've had it for 3,000 years. Because there's nothing new in the New Testament. It can't be anything new in the New Testament because it suggests that God changed at some point and added something. It can only be a renewal. Because God was perfect from the beginning. So he said, God so loved the world. In the beginning, why would the lamb was slain from the beginning of the world? Not when he showed up in 33 AD. For this reason, even the Gentiles believed in the Akedah. What? Oh, no, uh, Rabbi, don't you understand that Gentiles come to faith vis-a-vis -vis the Messiah is a brand new thing in the book of Acts. Brand new. Paul brought it around. Paul woke up one day and said, I got a revelation. Uh, the Lord said. Oops. You got to go back to the Akedah where because Abraham delayed three days to sacrifice his son out of pure love and joy, because of that, it brought Gentiles to faith. So, the offering of the image of the Father on the altar for the forgiveness of our sins has the power to even attract non-Jews to the covenant. Goes on to say it was from this that they recognized the, the very essence of Judaism. As it turns out, Isaac is the very first offering ever offered by a Jew. Let me put it to you this way 
the very first offering ever offered on a sacred altar by a Jew was a human sacrifice. You're flipping through your Bibles right now, wondering about that. If you look at the story timeline, look at the Torah, you'll find that Abraham's name was changed at the covenant of the parts, and then he was given the mitzvah of circumcision. That's when he became, he went from being Avram to Avraham to the Jewish Avraham. There's no other offerings talked about, no other sacrifices made until Isaac. In fact, when Isaac is born, Abraham has a festival. And they invite all the people. The sages point out a dialogue in the Midrash that says that Abraham, when, Isaac, when God said, go sacrifice your son Isaac, one of the things Abraham did is he goes, I had a festival when my son was born, and I didn't even offer a sacrifice to God. This must be that sacrifice that be, was to be offered. My son that was born was the sacrifice which is why he didn't offer a sacrifice. But he didn't realize that until God said to go offer the son that was supernaturally born unto you. Which one fine morning when the Shabbat's over. Mikael's going to give a drosh on the virgin birth and that's coming to a theater near you. But I'm not going to get into that right now. It says to Ma'am Loez, this is the merit that sustains Jews unto this very day. Another passage from Ma'am Loez says, the portion of the Akedah is usually read in the introduction of the morning service. Some people also read it before the afternoon service since it actually took place in the afternoon. It's good to read it anytime since it is the merit it is in this merit that all evil decrees are annulled. Isaac helped put the finishing touches on the altar. His father built the altar, but Isaac was allowed to put the final t- touches on it. Do you get that? The, the father built the altar, but then Isaac was able to put the final touches on it. And it says in Mamelwez, it was so beautiful, it was, it was as if. It was made for a wedding. But it's in the merit of the Akedah that all, all evil decrees are annulled. This is why Paul said that there was a written code against us and it has nailed to the crucifixion stake. The written code against us is not the word of God. No, you've been taught that. You've been taught that the written code against you was the law of Moses, which is the word of God. The law of Moses is the word of God. It's the scripture, the holy scripture, the holy writ. God's divine word. I've got news for you, and it's going to be a great relief for you. The word of God is not against you. For the Lord says, I behold, I am for you, not against you. So we don't need to nail God's word to the crucifixion stake. If you do that, why do you even have a Bible? 
If the Bible has been nailed to the crucifixion state, why do you have one? You keep trying to bring up the old sin in your life? Is that what you're trying to do? So there, he must admit something else. All you need is a concordance. And today they're online. The concordance says that that written code, it's not the word of God. It's a writ of debt. A debt you can't pay. It's a credit card bill so high and interest so high, you'll never pay it off. That was nailed. That evil decree of debt was annulled. How? By the binding of the image of the Father offered on the altar for the forgiveness of our sins. So that we have the power to use God's word again. I don't know about you, but I need that renewal and that debt forgiveness every day. There was a, a great Musar in the Shabbat table sparks last night that said that better to have someone who's a Rasha and know that he's a Rasha, that's an evil person, than to have somebody who's a Zodic who knows that they're a Zodic. Now, because I'm going, to share, I'm going to share this insight, and it's fitting because it's just about Purim time, and we have the Pirates Purim coming up. So it says here, the Torah says that God tested Abraham using the word Nisa, which, is, which, as mentioned earlier, is related to Ness, a ship's mast. <laughs> yeah, ma'am Loez. God raised Abraham's reputation like a sail unfurled on the mast. Not only would the world know his supreme sacrifice, but would also become aware of Abraham's other tests. <laughs> you, know, we, you know, Hashem is so good that we're about to have fun with a pirate's Purim, and it's going to be fun. And, and yet, he says, I'm going to throw a little insight for you that the Akedah is like the ship mass, and the, the test of faith is like the ship sail. You got to love God. You know, he enjoys it when his children have fun, right? He doesn't want us living in caves and eating worms. They're not kosher anyway. So it says, um, this is an interesting insight here. Abraham is saying, Lord of the universe, how can a sacrifice be offered without a Kohen? God said, you yourself will be the Kohen priest. When Noah's son Shem went forth to greet you after you had defeated the four kings, that's Melchizedek, he blessed you first and only then did he bless me. And you reprimanded him and telling him that it's not fitting to praise a slave before his master. And on that day, I took the high priest from him and gave it to you. How did Yeshua offer himself as a sacrifice if he himself was not a priest? But in fact, he was because we went to see Yochanan the Immerser. Yochanan said, you should be baptizing me. I'm not supposed to be, you should be mikfing me. I'm not supposed to be mikfing you. And Yeshua said, we've got, to, that's, we've got to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Why? Because Yochanan needs you, because you're a son of the Kohen, to transfer the priesthood to me so that I can fulfill the spiritual duty of the offering. So, what else do we have here from Man Lewis? 
How many know that Yeshua carried the uh, crucifixion beam on his shoulders as he walked to Golgotha in front of the Damascus Gate? Since Isaac still was not aware of the true purpose of the journey, and Abraham did not want to tell him openly, so he therefore placed the wood on Isaac's shoulders so as to hint towards his fate. This is much like the Romans did when they would put the crucifixion stake across the condemned person's shoulders. That comes from Breshit Rabbah. Abraham also did this so that Isaac would suffer having to carry that heavy wood. Thus, and as a result of his suffering, he would receive greater merit. He knew that Isaac was a saint and that he would not refuse even if he knew the truth. Meanwhile, Abraham was rejoicing that he would be able to obey God's commandments and he was happy. He was so happy. It says here, Man Moez, he was happy even as if he had been escorting Isaac to a wedding feast. Abraham said, Here I am, my son. More than anything else, this sacrifice will prove that you are indeed my, le- my legitimate son and not the son of Abimelech. If you were Abimelech's illegitimate son, it's a different word used here, but if you were that illegitimate son, how could I have the audacity to bring you as an offering to God? If a sheep has the smallest blemish, it is unfit as a sacrifice. How can one bring a sacrifice whose very legitimacy is blemished? People will know that God commanded me to offer you, therefore, all the world will know that you are my son. The very fact that the son was offered was proof that he was the legitimate son. The very fact that Yeshua was offered was proof that he was, in fact, the true son of David who would be Mashiach ben Yosef to die for our sins. It actually validated his role as the Mashiach. Had he not been offered, it would have been proof that he was not the legitimate Son of David. You've heard it said that we're not to eat meat strangled. Do you ever wonder why? It says here that when Abraham was trying to to slay Isaac, that the Satan, cursed be he, came and hit his hand and caused him to drop drop the knife. And as a result, Hasatan, cursed be he, caused a nick to be put in the knife's blade. Everybody knows that a shulket, the knife has to be razor sharp without any blemish whatsoever, no nicks whatsoever when slaughtering an animal. has to be that way so that the animal feels absolutely no pain. There's the, the, the slice is so quick, the death is so rapid that the, the animal doesn't even know what happened, just goes to sleep. So the enemy caused a nick, and so it says here, Abraham saw that... And he said to himself, obviously does not, God does not want me to, to kill him by cutting his throat. Maybe he wants me to kill him with my bare hands. So he started to try to strangle Isaac. Yeshua said, if you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, he's talking spiritually. He said, don't eat meat strangled. Eat meat that's been properly slaughtered. 
This is another picture of our sacrifice. What about the timing of the offering? Ma'am Lois brings down another insight here. We haven't even gotten to an article by Aish I wanted to comment on. Yeah. It says, for this reason, the Torah says that he built the altar. Now, it was the altar. Not, it, the scripture doesn't say go build, he built a altar. It says he built the altar. And according to the ancient sources, this was the very same altar that Adam had built from which he was created. The same altar that Adam used to sacrifice to God, the same altar that Noah used to offer to God, the same altar that, that uh, uh, Abel used. And this is the very same altar. This is the altar which would be the place where the, where the holies of holies would be. So it says there was an important reason Abraham did not build a new altar. Because every day there's a continual offering offered in the morning and the afternoon. A new altar could not could only be dedicated with the morning offering, not with that of the afternoon. If a new altar is being used and no sacrifice was offered in the morning, it cannot be used in the afternoon. God had told Abraham that he was to sacrifice Isaac in the afternoon. He thus knew that he could, he could not build a new altar, since a new altar could not be dedicated in the afternoon. So he understood that he would have to restore the altar that was already there. Now, interestingly, Isaac was offered in the afternoon, and yet Isaac's offering represents the morning lamb. Yeshua was crucified in the morning, and his akidah represents the afternoon lamb, which is the final offering of the day, there's no more community atonement lambs after that. So they crossed their hands for the bracha. Now Isaac was offered in the afternoon and Yeshua was offered in the morning. Why was he offered in the morning? Why wasn't he also offered in the afternoon? If, if that would have been a perfect you know, a perfect alignment with the Akedah. And the reason is, is because he was the offering that actually sacrificed, or excuse me, sanctified the altar because before the foundations of the earth were laid, the Lamb of God was slain. Crossed his arms for the blessing. Lord, you should bless Isaac. He's the first offering. Yes, I know he's the original, he's the elder, but... The elder will serve the younger. And in fact, if you think about it, in this instance, Yeshua was the first and he became the last. It just, it just, it just goes on. We'll come back to the ram in a second. How are we doing? Okay, Brukashim. Every offering that was ever offered, every offering that was ever offered, 
points back to the son that was offered. Every offering in the temple, no matter what the offering is, what it was for, whether it was sin or otherwise, it's all representative of the son that was offered. This is why you can have, you can still have Judaism with our prayers without a physical temple with physical offerings because the physical offerings were only representations of that offering. So it says here, there's a misunderstanding that, that, that God is hungry. This isn't from an article written it's on Aisha's website. I pulled it down a number of years ago called Thoughts from the Chumash, Themes Number 6, The Binding of Isaac. It says, in the pantheon of Jewish values, there is no cry more horrendous than a human sacrifice. That's true. And yet, the first sacrifice ever offered by a Jew was a human sacrifice. And the sages bring down that this human sacrifice of Isaac sanctified the altar, sanctified the temple, and in fact, sanctified the very mountain itself. It says, the belief that God is hungry for human blood and can be bribed by the murder of a loved one is an abomination. That's also true. That's why the binding was not about appeasement. It was about restoration. The binding was about the resurrection of the dead. It says, Abraham and Isaac concluded that the binding of Isaac was not about tribute and death. This is in the article. It was about life. The sacrifice of Isaac would bring on the resurrection the time, the time to come to prepare the broken world unto Adam, from Adam's sin to restore man to a mortal life. They believed that what he was about to do was to bring everything back to the Garden of Eden. The conclusion was to them that God wanted to make Isaac immortal. That if he offered Isaac on the altar, that it would bring back immortality and shalom and, and sin would be destroyed, that the, 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 the serpent would be done away with. That's what this article is saying was the mindset of Abraham. So the Rombel brings down. But surely Abraham knew that, it, that it, Hashem abhors human sacrifice. I mean, surely Abraham knew that. So how could he think that a human... Because he, he wasn't pretending. He literally was going to sacrifice his son. And in fact, he did, actually. It says, so why was he willing to obey what was clearly an abomination? So therefore, in Jewish thought... Achieving resurrection immortality for the son of promise, the only begotten son, the beloved of the father of our faith, the image of the father offered on the, on the altar, would bring about the same resurrection power to those who put their faith in that selfless act. If this is true for the son of promise, how much more would it be for the seed of promise? So the article says, Abraham and Isaac began the process of amending the broken world and returning it to the state of very good that it was in prior to, Abraham, to Adam's fall. But when the sacrifice was aborted, the author writes, Abraham realized that the process would not be completed right then and there, and he was positively disappointed. He goes on to say, Abraham realized what we do not that the opportunity to eliminate death was being canceled along with the sacrifice. 
do you see the Jewish idea is that Abraham realized that Isaac's death and subsequent resurrection was going to swallow up death and victory. But God said, not yet. I just wanted to see if you'd do it. Since I know that you'll do it, I'll do it. Why? Well, I got through saying a second ago that everything that happened with Isaac sanctified the temple, the altar, the Holy of Holies, all of it, the mountain itself. We're talking now about the earthly base of Middash. So Isaac had the power to sanctify and rectify through his sacrifice, the earthly Mikdash, base of Mikdash, because the earthly base of Mikdash was a copy of the original base of Mikdash. And so because Isaac was a copy of the father, he was able to sanctify the copy. But what needed to happen was that the original basic Mikdash that had been blemished by the sin of man, which was on a higher level, required a higher offering, not a copy of the image, but the image itself had to be sacrificed because a copy can restore the copy, but the original needed to restore the original. Thus, Mashiach came not as a copy, but as the original to make atonement for the original and the copy. Because if the original is sanctified fully in heaven, then it's sanctified on earth because it's in mirror of each other. So, what does the Akidah really mean? Well, Rabbi Shemuel, the son of Nachmani, said in the name of Rabbi Yonatan that God came, and I'm paraphrasing here, but God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, your, your, your children are sinning or have sinned. What should I do? And Abraham said, turn them over to divine justice. He said, the, the father is a bit harsh. Let me go to the younger. And he went down and spoke with, um, he spoke with Jacob. He said, Jacob, your children are sinning. Or have sinned, and what should I do? And he said, turn them over to judgment. He said, the wisdom of the younger is no better than the wisdom of the older. So he went to Isaac. And he said, your children have sinned. And Isaac said, master of the universe, my children and not your children. When the Jews said, we will do and we will listen, you called them my firstborn son, and now you call them my children and not even your children. Besides, how much did they sin? How many years are the years of a man's life? Seventy? Subtract the first 20 for which a person is not punished, and you're left with 50. Subtract 25, which are evenings, and you're left with 25. Subtract 12 and a half, which a person uses to pray, to eat, to answer nature's call, and you're only left with 12 and a half. If you can tolerate all this, good. If not, let us split it, my half, and then you take a half. If you will say that all the years of their sin are on me, then remember that I sacrificed my soul in front of you on the altar. Shabbat 89b, meaning that the idea is that when it came to the three patriarchs, the one who stood up and said, God, I'll take their sin, was the son, who was the image of the father, offered on the altar for our sins. 
So, what does the Akedah really mean? It says, Yitzhak's death, or near death, represented the ability of man to return from death, to extricate himself from the limbo state between living and dead. This is what sacrifice does. This is the purpose of the base of Mikdash. Every layer of the Akedah account leads in this direction. Avraham, who represents chesed or kindness, offers up Yitzhak, who represents judgment. The offering is accepted. Therefore, true judgment, the death sentence, which is the letter of the law, is sacrificed in favor of life. Hesed will be the dominant trait in its place for all time. The Akedah is the Hunkat Hamizbeach, the consecration of the altar, for it sets up the dynamic of the transformative and rejuvenating qualities of Hesed in the atonement affected by the sacrifice. In other words, that Isaac represents the judgment of God on the world. And Abraham, who represents love, sacrifices that judgment on the altar so that love reigns in place of judgment. This is why Mashiach says, I didn't come to judge the world. I came down to give my life. I'm the judgment. I'm taking the judgment on myself so that love can reign and grace can reign. And that forgiveness upon forgiveness can overcome sin upon a sin. This is the power of the Akedah. That's why we read it every, every day to remind us that when it's all been said and done, it all boils down to the image of the Father offered on the altar for the forgiveness of our sins. Baruch Abba, Bashem Adonai.